Welcome everyone to Islam for Christians. This is episode 130, the Quran, Surah 84, Al-Injik, the Sundering. When the heaven is split asunder, and attentive to her Lord in fear, and when the earth is spread out, and has cast out all that was in her, and is empty, and attentive to her Lord in fear. Thou, O man, are working toward the Lord, a work which you will meet in his presence. Then whoso is given his account in his right hand, he truly will receive an easy reckoning, and will return unto his folk in joy. But whoso is given his account behind his back, he surely will invoke destruction and be thrown to scorching fire. He lived joyous with his folk. He deemed that he would never return unto Allah. Nay, but his Lord is ever looking on him. I swear by the afterglow of sunset, and by the night and all that it enshrouds, and by the moon when she is at the full, that you shall journey on from plain to plain. What aileth them, then, that they believe not. And when the Quran is recited unto them, they worship not Allah? Nay, but those who disbelieve will deny, and Allah knows best what they are hiding. So give them tidings of a painful doom, save those who believe and do good works, for theirs is a reward unfailing. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad al-Gandhi. Allah 
One major assumption that you will often find in most Western religions, be it Judaism and Christianity and Islam or even earlier Greek philosophers who kind of dabbled in metaphysics, you'll see this idea that God is constant. God is eternal and was eternal and will be eternal. This is necessary for the universe to have order and constancy. The person in charge, this being with dominion over the creation, this does not change because the world would look much different, far more chaotic, if multiple deities were in charge. And just imagine how much sense we could make of the universe in things like science or mathematics. What would that look like if one god loses a battle, a new god comes in and then changes the laws of physics, the order of the galaxies, the planets, the creatures on Earth? Maybe the new guy thinks we should be silicon-based and have wheels instead of legs. But that doesn't happen. The rules are the same as they were 5,000 years ago. The same as they were a billion years ago. God is constant. But as part of God being constant, everything else is as a being under God, everything else is constantly in motion, moving from one stage to the other. And that is the observation, sort of that the, the comparison that the Quran is making here. The planets are in motion. The sun is in motion. The moon is in motion. Night changes to day, and day changes to night. Everything other than God is clearly in a constant state of change, and that includes the entire world and all the people in it. This is the testimony being given to the people of Mecca here, likely in the very early 620s. Muhammad will bail for Medina very soon, but this is one of the last warnings being given to the Meccan pagans to look a little closer at what may come after this life and the change people will undergo when the day of days comes. The people are warned. All things will change. Even this solid rock you think you are standing on, that will not last forever. And that message was probably a bit Shocking to an ancient people. Now, we know that this is true on some level, at least if the current science is correct. We know the earth will eventually be torn apart or, as I understand it, melted as it's absorbed by the sun. But an ancient person couldn't know that. Really, in an ancient mind, what could be more solid than the ground that you are standing on? They probably didn't even know they were on a planet. 
This was just the world. And many just accepted that it was the world. Kind of like, say, a goldfish who lives in a bowl. That fish doesn't think about life outside the bowl, as the Quran is advising people to do here. And that fish certainly doesn't ponder the bowl completely shattering and then thinking, boy, what am I going to do if this bowl shatters and I'm drying out and suffocating on the floor? But people should have a backup plan, or at least hope that God has one for them, because we know that the bowl is not forever, and neither is the earth. This idea of the earth splitting apart is what gives the Sora its title, Al-Inshika. This phrase is the noun form of a word in the first line, Inshakat, which means split asunder, thus the name, the sundering. You may also see the bursting asunder, the splitting, the rending asunder, the splitting asunder. Now, for those looking at the Arabic, finding this root can be a little trickier than usual. You might think it's the verb form of N-S-H-Q, noon sheen cough, which is a good guess, <laughs> a very good guess, but it's actually S-H-Q-Q, sheen cough cough. And if you're looking at it in the Arabic, just a little hint for you here. There is a reason that little W symbol is above the cough in this word. It means say it twice. And in this case, of course, not in all cases, but in this case, grammatically, count it twice. And this root, shaka, it's a great apocalypse verb. Basically, it means... To cleave, to tear apart, to rip. You know, when you look at the variations of this verb, it's almost all negative. To be oppressive, to molest, harass, burden, make trouble. But there are some positive things as well. Splitting something isn't always bad, for example, like say you wanted to blaze a trail, create a path, make a road, break through, a uh, sprout a plant. So there are two sides to this verb, just like in the Quranic usage. Now, this particular cleaving or splitting, it can be good or bad, depending on who you are. And that splitting obviously has a double meaning. It's a physical cleaving and destruction of the earth. But the meaning that people will be most concerned with is the second the division of the righteous and the unrighteous people in the judgment that will follow. So the world is not permanent, and neither is the state of people. When the world ends, the world of people, as we know them, it will end as well. And this is when people will be called to account for the lives that they lived. And it is at this time when... Often, as Jesus said, the last will be first and the first will be last. At this time, 
it's not money or power or prestige that will be the currency, but morality will be the only thing that matters, at least morality in the eyes of God, in the judgment of God. And that lasts. This is the judgment. And here, it's being demonstrated visually by a person receiving their record, their scroll, their life story, in either their right hand or their left hand. Now, just to clarify, in religious language in the Western traditions, like Judaism, Christianity, Islam, the right side is the good side. Now, apologies to those who prefer left. I get it. I'm partially left-handed too, but that's just the way it is. It's not a value judgment on direction, but merely a symbol. For Christians, this is most notable in the Nicene Creed. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. The right hand is good, the left hand is bad. That's the symbolism. And you see the same thing here in the Quran, lines 7 to 9. Then whoso is given his account in his right hand, he truly will receive an easy reckoning and will return unto his folk in joy. This is the righteous man receiving his record in his right hand. This person is going to heaven. But then we have the other hell-bound people. But whoso is given his account behind his back, he surely will invoke destruction, meaning he wants to die to cease to be, but this won't happen, and be thrown to scorching fire. So, this hypothetical person is given his account behind his back. Now, in some translations, you may just see given in his left hand, but it doesn't actually say that, in the Arabic at least. It says behind his back. Now, the left hand is a good assumption, but there's a bit more to it, symbolically, that is. Rather than simply saying in the left hand, it says behind his back. Now, why would it say that? I've seen two rather convincing interpretations of this, so I'll give I'll relay those two to you here. First, perhaps this person, this sinful person, he has to receive his record behind his back because it's just so ugly that he won't want to see it. Or perhaps it can symbolize his blindness to the truth that this moment would eventually come. And that's a good one. And the second, and a bit more creative, is this. The bad man is receiving his record in the same manner as the good man. Just imagine someone handing out scrolls to someone from the right side, from the receiver's right. Now, if someone was on your right, you would naturally reach out with your right hand to receive something. But then imagine you couldn't, because, say, maybe your arms were behind your back, or even tied behind your back. Perhaps the wicked will be restrained on the final day. And if your arms were tied behind your back, 
and you were receiving something from the right, how would you reach for it? With your left hand behind your back because your right hand is pointed the wrong way. Now, in a more general way, this could also symbolize the backwardness of the unbelievers and their moral systems, but what makes this version particularly clever is it employs both the left hand and behind the back. Okay, uh, two more things I want to highlight here. First, back to line six. Now, the Marbaduke Pickthall translation says, Thou verily, O man, art working toward thy Lord a work which thou wilt meet in his presence. Now, the Pickthall translation I read in the beginning, and right here as well, it kind of omits an element that is present in most other translations. So I wanted to make sure to go over that. When it comes to this line, most translators like to emphasize the painful toil of life. But Pickthall just says, working toward the Lord. Whereas this usually contains some kind of reference to painful toil or the great pains in life. Now, this could mean one of two things. First, there might be a perfectly obvious reason Pickthall is wrong and say, Yusuf Ali is right. Maybe there is an Arabic element I am missing that a scholar of classical Arabic would probably see. But I don't think so, because Pickthall was a brilliant scholar of Arabic, and so was Yusuf Ali. They were contemporaries and probably very good friends. So why the difference? Well, style. This is just yet another example that I can give you of just a contrast in translation styles. Yusuf Ali was much more interested in context, in guiding the reader, whereas Pickthall was much more of a bare-bones, let-it-speak-for-itself kind of a guy. And neither was wrong. They were just different. In Yusuf Ali's translation, you see a desire to stretch out those two elements, the work of this life and then the ultimate consolation of meeting God. Like this, this is how he says this line. O thou man, verily thou art ever toiling on towards thy Lord, painfully toiling, but thou shalt meet him. Now you see the artistic license there. He's emphasizing the pain of life to give greatness or grandiosity to the eventual reward of a painful life, which is meeting the Lord. Whereas Pickthall, well, the text is the text. He's just going to give it to you straight. And that's enough on that. Uh, the, the second and final thing here, we have lines 20 and 21, which kind of stand out because they, they reach me in a very personal way and probably also everyone else who is listening to this, or at least most of you, because if you are interested in this type of material, <laughs> if you're even listening to this podcast at all, 
you have a certain personality or a focus or a life emphasis, a thirsting for something greater, something eternal, something beyond this world. And this bit of the Quran, I think, is a pretty good description of how people like us see the world and how so much of the world simply does not make sense in our eyes and how the people in it and and their focus, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in our eyes either. I'll give you the Mustafa Khattab version here. You know, the clear Quran, make it as clear as possible. <laughs> that actually is a very, very clever name because in contemporary English, it is the clearest English translation that there is. I'm just stunned how appropriate that title is. Anyway, this is Mustafa Khattab's line 20 and 21. So what is the matter with them that they do not believe? And when the Quran is recited to them, they do not bow down in submission. Now, it's talking about the Quran. You know, this is said in an Islamic context, but in my eyes, it goes so far beyond that. You don't even have to be a Muslim to really see something of value here, because the same thing is universal, really, for all those who are religious particularly those who are religious in a world that is not. And you look around you and you think, how on earth are you people not contemplating the next step? How can a person not embrace opportunities to know God or even care about knowing God? How do you not project beyond this immediate life? Even my young daughter will say things like, Daddy, will my blanket go with me to heaven? She really, really loves that blanket. And the thought of going to heaven without her blanket actually makes her cry. Because she's thinking beyond. She's thinking in the future. The big future. But so many over an entire lifetime they never get that far. And for people like us, even though we probably shouldn't obsess on it too much, and that's something you have to catch yourself in, try not to concentrate so much on what other people are doing. Uh, it mostly leads to anxiety and frustration and other bad things. It's much better to work on yourself. But, any, but for people like us, this lack of projection into the future can be perplexing. And it always will be, just as the pagans of Mecca probably seemed to Muhammad at the time. You're probably seeing something very similar to what Muhammad was seeing, and probably in the way that he was seeing it. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah.
Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.